Good morning and welcome to everybody who's here and those who are here virtually. Uh, welcome to our time together. We're going to continue today in our study on the Bible, trying to make something that can be difficult very simple. You know, I was reading an article the other day about things that we act like we understand or we pretend to understand, but we have no idea what they're all about. And let me tell you some examples of that. One of them is modern art. Modern art. You look at that, you go, I don't see anything. And somebody, that's a masterpiece. That's worth $100,000. Who knows why? Here's another one, bitcoins. Anybody know what a bitcoin is? And I mean, it has some value and then people steal them and people forget their password and they lose all their, I don't even know what a bitcoin is, you know? I have no idea. For, for most of us, fantasy sports, I have no idea what that is. I, I don't know. I mean, you, you get some guys on your team and I don't know how that works. You all get together. I think it's just community thing you have that, you know? Uh, the internet. Only Al Gore really knows how the internet works. Well, I know. Uh, how about this? Higgs Bosom. Anybody know what that is? Looking for the God part? I don't know. They got an accelerator underground somewhere in some other country. And I, I don't even think they know what they're looking for. But every time we hear those subjects come up, we nod our head and go, oh, yeah. Nobody understands those things. Well, I'll throw that out to you because I think a lot of people are like that about the Bible. You know, people talk about the Bible and people nod their head like they understand, but for many people, they really don't understand what the Bible's all about, you know? Most people have a Bible, but many people, including a lot of Christians, really don't get a grasp on what it is. We get bits and pieces here and there, but we haven't got a real grasp on the whole Bible. And I think one of the reasons is that a lot of people are not familiar with the Bible, or they don't have a systematic plan of reading the Bible, or they just don't read the Bible. Maybe they're honestly a little lazy, or they don't read anything. A lot of people just don't read at all. Perhaps they're undisciplined or or uh, maybe that people just are uncomfortable with the Bible because it makes them feel guilty or they don't have the best relationship with God and so it's an awkward time to spend in his word. Or maybe some people have written the Bible off as just an old book that's irrelevant to our world today. Whatever it is, I know there are a lot of people who don't understand the Bible. And I know there are some people who have tried to read and understand but they've gotten discouraged because it just seemed a little bit overwhelming. Maybe they were reading a translation that didn't make a lot of sense in our modern language, or perhaps they just got you know, in, in a place where they found repetition. We talked about that last week. Uh, or maybe it's just confusing about who wrote what to whom. And so today, I want to try to make it a little simpler. I'm going to do an overview of the Bible, the entire Bible, in, in one service, and hopefully simplify some things for you to make the Bible easier to read and to understand. You know, in the past few weeks, we've talked about the Bible. We've talked about the different types of writings in the Bible. We talked about history that will help inform us about beginnings and how God works in the past. We talked about poetry that is in the Bible to inspire us, the beauty of, uh, of creation and the creativity of mankind. We talked about prophecy and epistles to instruct us about how to live a godly life and to know what kind of, uh, uh, you know, teaching that God has for our personal life. So it's important for us to know what type of writing or what kind of writing that we are reading so we know how to respond. But you know, it may be even more important for us to know to whom that particular scripture or those words were being written. You know, how are we supposed to respond to what we reread? For example, I'm reading through the Bible again this year, and I'm in, I'm in Leviticus, and I was reading there that says that you should not eat pork. That pork is unclean. Now, I want to just tell you, I just got through 
a few weeks ago raising some pigs, and I'll be the first to tell you that pigs are unclean. They are filthy, dirty, stinking animals. But I will also say that I like me some bacon really well. You know, so when I read that and it's like, yeah, I can't eat pork, you know, what exactly does that mean to me? Is that written to us today? So to understand things like that, as simple as that, we have to look at the various periods of Bible history. And that's what I want to talk a little bit about today because I think it will help you understand this. This is kind of a a high-level view of the Bible, but it will help you understand what the Bible is about and to whom it was written. Because these periods of time are called, they're called different things. They're called periods, they're called eras of time. But another word that I like, and I want to explain it to you because it's going to throw you off up front, a word that I like a lot is more descriptive of what's going on is the word dispensation. Now, that's a word that I don't use any other time in any other way, all right? So to, make, to explain what that is, a dispensation is a plan or a way by which God dispenses His grace. How that God dispenses his revelation, his blessing, and also his punishment. And so if we look back over time, over history, we're going to see that there are three great plans, three great eras, three great periods or dispensations that show how God deals with mankind. So don't let the word dispensation throw you off. It's just think about God is relating to mankind. God is dealing with man. He is dispensing his revelation or his grace in these ways, all right? So let's go back and look at them. We'll get in the Old Testament, of course. The first era is the patriarchal era or dispensation. The patriarchal era begins with creation on the very first word of the Bible, and it ends with Moses. Now, the word patriarch, we don't use that word a lot either, but it just means a chief father. It means the daddy of them all, kind of the father of everybody. Beginning at creation, there were several men to whom God revealed his will personally. God came down and spoke to these individuals. They include people like Adam and Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and also a man named Enoch. We include in that list as well. But each of these men had their direct encounter with God for a specific reason. And really, the first three of that list are the, kind of the most important as far as God revealing his will to mankind. For example, to Adam, God came down, God gave him a home, he gave him a garden, he gave him a task to name all the animals, to care for the earth, to multiply and, uh, and, and populate the world. And he also gave him a prohibition, you probably remember that, don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So God dealt a lot with Adam. Adam was the first man and so Adam had the first human interaction that's recorded for us with God. It was close and very intimate until his, uh, until his sin. So God dealt with him one-on-one. But unfortunately, not only was it Adam, but it was everybody that followed Adam that did not respond well to God's love. And so Adam and all of his descendants came a point where God said, I've had enough. God said, this is sin has overtaken the world. I'm going to basically almost start over. And the Bible says uh, in Genesis 6 that God saw Noah, who was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. So God, if you remember, God told Noah, I want you to build an ark to my specifications. I want you to gather the animals, get them all in the ark, care for them, and I'm going I'm to destroy the earth with a flood, but you're going to create a whole new start. That was a lot of communication that God had with Noah. He put a lot of trust in Noah, who was the father of three sons, you probably, and the only people that really responded to Noah was his family. So Noah and his family gathered in the ark, 
and they survived the flood. And to him, God gave blessing and dominion and a promise based on a physical sign, a rainbow, that he would never again destroy the earth with water. So God was dealing directly with Noah in this patriarchal area. He was dispensing his revelation and his grace to Noah, and he gave it to the rest of the family. Later on, God chose a man named Abraham to be the father of the chosen people of the Jewish nation, Israelites. And he gave Abraham a call, and uh, he said, Abraham, I want you to leave your family and you leave your home and go to a place that I will give you. I will give you a home, and I will give you descendants that could not even be counted. Now, that had to have been strange to Abraham because he and his wife were nearing 100 years of age, which was old even in that time, and they didn't have any children. And God said, you're going to have so many descendants, you won't even be able to number them, more than the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. And in Genesis 12, it says, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God chose Abraham. It's a notable moment in time when God says, I want my own people. I'm going to choose a man to be the father of those people, the patriarch. And so it was Abraham. In the patriarchal age, God dealt directly with mankind, primarily Abraham's descendants going forward. And God made certain promises to them. And so this period is called the dispensation of promise. God said, I'm going to give you all these things. During this time, God personally instructed the patriarchs to offer burnt animals on an altar to worship. You probably remember reading about that, to worship him and honor him as well as to pay for their sins. So during this era, the altar was the institution of worship. This is where they went to worship God. And it wasn't a specific altar. They would just build one for the moment, seemingly. If they were traveling, they would build an altar. And then they would offer this uh, Uh, sacrifice up to God. We read about Adam and his sons Cain and Abel uh, recorded making sacrifices on an altar. Also Noah did, Abraham did, Jacob did, all the patriarchs did in that day. So that era is recorded primarily or totally in the book of Genesis. All right, so that's the patriarchal era or dispensation. That's how God dealt with mankind. Now the second dispensation or era began when God gave the law to his chosen people, Israel. Remember, he had established them through Abraham and almost everything we read following that is dealing with God's people and the focus on them. And so this second era began when God gives them the law with a promise that they would be blessed when they obeyed and with a warning that they would be punished when they disobeyed. So when Abraham, who was their father, their patriarch, uh, it began with him. And if you read into Genesis, you'll see that primarily it was just a family, very much a patriarchal society. It was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his 12 sons, uh, and they were all together. And then they left the land they were living in, and they went to Egypt for 400 years. Remember that? There were only about 30 or 40 that went But after 400 years in Egypt, uh, they numbered close to 600,000 to a million. There's different ideas on that. So the the family just exploded and became not just a family, but more actually of a nation. And then, of course, we know that as they exploded, the Egyptians became very worried about them taking over their own country, and so they enslaved them. And then God called a man named Moses to come and deliver his people from Egyptian slavery. 
And shortly after they were delivered, we know about the plagues. And shortly after that, he gave them the law out in the wilderness on Mount Sinai, including a section of the law that we are most familiar with called the Ten Commandments. And so God gave him the law, chiseled them out on a stone tablets, the Ten Commandments, which was the basis of the law. So the second dispensation is called the Mosaic Dispensation, primarily because God dealt with Moses, not as a patriarch, but one-on-one as his appointed leader. So this era includes a great period of time. It includes the Exodus going out of that land because that we're in the process of getting away. It includes the conquest of the promised land, 400 years of the judges, and then 400 years of the kings, men like Saul and David and Solomon. It includes 70 years of exile in Babylon, and then the return to Jerusalem, rebuilding the city and rebuilding the temple, and then 400 years of silence between the Old and the New Testament. 400 years when God didn't speak at all. So there's a long period of time during this Mosaic dispensation or era. During this era, the first part of it, the tabernacle was where they worshiped. The tabernacle, that temporary uh, worship center that they carried around when they moved and set up from one, one spot to another. And then later on when they settled down in Jerusalem, the city of, uh, of God, then they built a temple there. And there the temple became the focus of worship. No longer did people build altars out anywhere along the way, but there was a altar, a special altar at the temple or part of the uh, tabernacle and then at the temple. And animals were sacrificed there, but it was done on the temple altar. Not everybody could go to the temple every day, and so synagogues were set up in different towns where people would go to worship, their local worship. But all Jews, as Tony mentioned last week, were required to go to Jerusalem at least once or twice a year. But this, this period of time was focused on the law, and the Mosaic law was extensive. It was much larger than the Ten Commandments. In fact, if you go reading uh, in the first few books of the Bible, Matthew, or Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the books of the law, you'll read the law that God gave to them, and it was overwhelming. Um, these, uh, the Ten Commandments were the core, but it covered almost every area of daily life. The laws were very strict, and then the legalistic Jewish leaders added hundreds of other laws, minute laws, to explain God's law, uh, human laws, but they made it very oppressive. And it wasn't something they just wrote and then ignored like we sometimes do with things. The law was studied, and the law was strictly enforced to the point that nobody could keep it, and nobody liked the law, even those who lived under it and kept it, kind of chafed against the law. Today, there are many Orthodox Jews who still live under that old law in a modern form, but in many very strict ways, very unusual ways for us. And while we are not under the law today as Christians, the law does have value and gives that perspective to God. That's why we don't just write off the Old Testament and say, oh, we don't even read that. We read it to get a picture of who God is and how God dealt with people, the character of God. We learn a lot about God there. So why did God give us this law? Because people still misunderstand that. Let me give you three reasons why God gave the law. First of all, God gave the Old Testament law because of the hardness of man's heart. Because man's heart was hard. First Timothy 1 says, the law is not made for righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, the unholy and profane. In other words, the law was given because man was wicked. The apostle Paul, who once was a strict follower of the law, he loved the law. 
he made it clear that God never intended for man to live under the law indefinitely. The law was only introduced, if you remember, when the Israelites were sinning in the wilderness by worshiping a golden calf. They're worshiping the calf down here, which they knew was wrong. Moses up on the mountain getting the law. God said, they're going to need it when you go down because you're going to be furious, and he was. But it was given whenever the Israelites were sinning. God didn't want man to live under a law. He wanted to live by his guidance and leading and dealing with people, but the people weren't willing. And as a result of that, God gave them a list of rules. Do this and don't do that. And he only did that um, to maintain the law and order until the fullness of time had come. And then he would send Jesus to release us from that law. A perfect example of this was the divorce law. God never wanted people to divorce, but God allowed them to divorce only because of the hardness of their hearts. In other words, it was happening anyway. Men specifically were putting their wives away, getting rid of their wives and marrying somebody else. And then this woman was out here and she couldn't get remarried because she was still married in one way. And so God said, if you're going to do that, then do a divorce. But it was never his will. That's an example of how man's heart was hardened and God gave them a law to deal with that. The second reason God gave the law was that God gave the Old Testament law as a remembrance of his great acts to remind us of what God had done. God gave the law so there would always be a remembrance of him. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, anticipating that there would be future generations of Israel that didn't know the true God, God commanded his people to teach the laws to their children. This is a scripture where it says, teach them when you walk along the way, teach them when you sit in in the house, teach them the law and remind them of who God is. So the laws and statues would naturally arouse curiosity among the children. Why did God say this? And then you get a chance to tell them about God's great acts. This was God's way of creating a a, a history of remembrance of his mighty acts to future generations. And then thirdly, God gave the law to foreshadow Christ. To foreshadow Christ. In Colossians chapter two, it says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So many of the Old Testament rituals and laws were given so that they could, in fact, prophesy and foreshadow what Christ would later on do. That's important to understand in the big picture of of the Bible, the law, and of Jesus. And it's also important to see that God dealt with mankind in different ways, in different cases, in different eras of time. Before the law was given, people believed God and they followed God, implying that the law was not necessarily a part of, of daily life. They didn't have to have the law. The law didn't even exist before Moses. They, they, they followed God or obeyed God. Abraham's a great example of that. And then Jesus was going to come later to the earth in God's time because God wasn't sending him immediately. He waited 4,000 years. So there had to be something during the intermediary time. You might even call the law a necessary evil in some way because it had to be there to instruct the people and guide the people. Something was needed. Galatians chapter 5 says the law was a schoolmaster designed to lead us to Christ. And then once we come to Christ, there's no longer any need for the law because we serve him out of love. In fact, Christ came to fulfill and replace the law. Now, a lot of people struggle understanding what laws from the Old Testament they were to keep today. What laws do we keep? And here's one way that I want to clarify because I've heard this 
multiple times, and I want to throw this out and try to explain why this is important to understand. Some people try to use some obscure and confusing law that was given to the Jewish people to undermine the entire Bible. You probably heard people do this. They say, well, you know, um, one of the laws was that you don't wear clothing made of two different types of material, and, uh, and doesn't that sound ridiculous today? And, uh, and that same Bible that you say, you know, that also says that uh, homosexuality is wrong. So homosexuality isn't wrong because it isn't a silly law that you can't wear clothing with two different types of material. I don't know if you've heard that, but I've heard that several times, enough so that I think we need to kind of clarify that, right? So implication is the Bible is outdated. The Bible isn't relevant. It doesn't make sense because we don't follow those clothing laws. We don't have to follow other laws either. Well, let me give you some principles to help you understand the Bible in the face of an argument like that. Four, five rules, I believe, five principles that will help you. First of all, ask, where does this law fit into the developing story of the Bible? Where does this law fit in? The laws of the Old Testament were not given in a vacuum. They were given at a time where they were needed. They came on the scene a very particular time in the developing story of the Bible. God had raised up the Israelites to be his people. They had been in Egypt for 400 years. They lost concept of who God was. The family, uh, Abraham's family was, you know, just, uh, it, it was, they, they all came from Abraham, but there was, they didn't know Abraham. They didn't know the law of God. And they were just a, a pagan people. Basically, they lived in a pagan land. So God brings them out in the wilderness, delivers them, is taking them to the promised land, but they're a mess. They're a mess out there. You know, 600,000 to a million people living in community, close community. They don't have a home. They don't always have all the food they want. And so there's a lot of chaos. So one way to understand the role of the law is to understand them in addressing particular needs at that point in history. For example, the laws about personal injury or theft or personal property would be needed in this community. They didn't have a a police force, if you will. They didn't have any guidance or they didn't have a culture around them. They were developing their culture. And so God gave them this laws to help them develop the community or the story, his story. A second good question is, how does this law relate to God's covenant? How does it relate to God's overall covenant? We, we don't live in that day of the law. We have the history. And so as we look back over how God dealt with people, how does this Old Testament law relate to God's covenant today? Various aspects of the law were intended to separate the people from unholy things or to provide cleansing once they had become unholy so their relationship with God could be maintained. For instance, the laws about not mixing a different type of seeds or different types of fabrics and clothing seem to have been symbolic reminders that the Israelites were not to mix with the pagan people of the land of Cana. Don't mix, come out. You are a separate people, God said. Some scholars believe that some of the food laws may have had some hygienic purposes. Maybe that's why they didn't eat pork. But other people think the distinction between clean and unclean were a constant reminder that choices had to be made to stay separate religiously from the people of the land. The sacrificial laws, on the other hand, were for restoration, for the forgiveness of sins. And, and once they became unclean, once they were, were, had sinned, they had to have a way to come back to God. So the laws oftentimes served to maintain a focus on holiness as central to being God's people. Thirdly, ask this question, is this a direct command that is reiterated in the New Testament? 
This is a huge guideline to help you understand the Old Testament laws. Is this a direct command that's also repeated in the New Testament? Only a handful of commands from the Old Testament law are really emphasized in the New Testament to be followed by Jesus' disciples. In fact, if you will think about it, Jesus actually dismissed a lot of those Old Testament laws, like healing on Sunday or washing your hands before you ate. Some of those things, uh, not that that's a bad idea, but, but Jesus said that's not the most important thing, all right? So he kind of dismissed a lot of those laws. Only nine of the Ten Commandments listed in Exodus chapter 20 are repeated in the New Testament. The one that's dropped off is the law of the Sabbath. Now we worship on the Lord's Day for, to celebrate a, a finished redemption. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through 9, which was a command to love God supremely and the command to love one another. Two great commandments, love God, love your neighbors yourself. Those were passed over from the Old Testament. Beyond the command against adultery, the moral guidelines related to marriage and the prohibition against sexual relationships outside of marriage between only a man and a woman are also clear in the New Testament. So when someone tries to sell you that the Bible doesn't deal with the issue of homosexuality, they're just totally wrong. They're ignorant of the Bible, and they're using the Bible very uh, very wrong, all right? Number four, has the New Testament demonstrated that this law is no longer applicable? This is a big one. You're going to like this one, guys, when I get done explaining this one. Some Old Testament laws have been clearly shown in the New Testament to no longer be applicable to a Christ follower. For instance, the food laws have been done away with. See where I'm going, right? Clear from Mark chapter 7. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In this, Jesus is declaring all foods to be clean. Thank you that we can eat bacon, all right? That law was dismissed. We don't hold to those laws from the Old Testament. Hebrews is clear that the old covenant sacrifices have been done away with by the once-for-all sacrifice of Christ. And that's why, because this is because new covenant believers have been so decisively forgiven of every sin they ever have, or in Christ every sin they will commit, there's no longer a need for sacrifices. That's why we don't kill animals and put them on an altar and burn them like they did in that day. There's no longer necessary. These laws have not been destroyed, but they have been fulfilled in Christ. So in relation to to guidelines three and four I just mentioned, these are the reasons why Christians can eat seafood and pork and why we are prohibited from homosexuality and sexual relationships outside of marriage uh, and only between a husband and wife. The Bible's clear about that. The food laws have been done away with by God and the laws on moral behavior have been underscored as vital for New Testament and modern day believers. So we're not being inconsistent. We are taking the context seriously. And then the fifth uh, principle is read the law as God's word for you, even though most of them are no longer commands for you. I think this is important. When you read the Old Testament law, read them as God's word and the holiness of God. Try Try to see God through these words, but realize that most of them, you're not bound under them. Paul tells us that believers are no longer under Mosaic law, but we experience righteousness as beneficiaries of the work of Christ. However, all the laws teach us about the holiness of God and how that God rewards obedience and punishes sin. All right, a lot on the Mosaic thing, because I want to clear some things up. That brings us to the last era or dispensation. And that is the one that we live in today and we talk the most about. I'm not going to spend much time on this because 
We preach about this every week, just about. But this is a Christian dispensation. And this is what we live in under today. This is where God reveals or dispenses himself through Christ Jesus. Jesus who came down, who laid the foundation, and whose death opened the way for the forgiveness of sin. The Christian era began on the day of Pentecost when the church began. That's when it all started. That's when the old law was made null and void. Actually, it was done whenever Jesus died and came to life again, and the prophecy was fulfilled. But the the dispensation actually began when the church began, and it will continue until the return of Jesus. There will never be more than three dispensations on this earth. It will end when Jesus comes back. God now dispenses or gives salvation and his blessing through Jesus Christ and by his grace. Not because we deserve it, not because he's going to talk to me personally like under the patriarchs, not because I'm bound by the law under Moses, but because I have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. We have moved from law to grace. And Jesus, even though he lived under the law, he fulfilled the law and all the prophecies that went with it about the Messiah. Now we live under and in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And there's a verse of scripture that kind of explains that. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The church today offers that proclamation, that promise, that hope, the gospel to the world today. The church has replaced the temple as the focus of worship. We don't need to go to the temple. Uh, That doesn't exist there anyway, but uh, we, we don't need to go there. The sacrifice of Jesus' life has replaced the sin offerings made on the altar. And Jesus Christ invites us to come to him, and in so doing, we come to the Father. Of all these eras, the Christian era is the best, hands down. And the great thing is we get to live in that era. We live in the era era of grace. We live in the era uh, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we get to experience that only because Jesus loved us and came to our world to die for us. Now, I don't know if that makes sense to you or not. It helps me understand the Bible a lot and how to look at the Old Testament. But of all of that, even if you never remember the word dispensation or never say that word in your lifetime, remember this, that God loves us and that God calls us to Him And we are so blessed to live under this time, in this era of grace, when we can come to God through Jesus. We don't have to jump through hoops. We don't have to depend on our our father or some patriarch to do it for us. We have Jesus Christ, who is our high priest before the Father, making intercession for us. And that's a great blessing. If you have never given your life to Christ, or you need to make a, a decision on your spiritual journey, I would love to talk to you about that. If this has found interesting or confusing, I'm sorry. I don't want it to be confusing. I try to simplify it. Um, but hopefully you understand how much God loves you, and he wants you to be his child, and you'll make that decision.